And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Red alert. All hands to battle stations. Engage. Captain Picard is a pain, isn't he? Interesting. No redeeming qualities. I think you should be destroyed. The great Captain Picard of Starfleet falls to Earth. Go back. Thou shalt most certainly die. Protect yourself, Captain, within destroying. We are dangerous. What can I offer except myself? Can we just get down to it, please. Get us out of orbit! One minute to destruct. No! We're through running from these bastards. Perhaps today is a good day to die. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Monthly Monday number 46. And it's going to be a pair of very... very, Things are going to be very different yet somehow the same because we're on format. But once again, Scott Gardner is missing and has been replaced with Andrew Leyland. Hello, I can do it in a, a fake American accent if you want me to. Do you think you do your best Scott Gardner? I'd like to hear it. I'm very interested to hear that. How are you, everybody? <laughs> Is that okay? It was dead on. It sounded just like him. <laughs> uh, actually, it sounded like it sounded like I picture like a skinny white guy with a ten-gallon hat. Just uh, howdy, partner. <laughs> howdy, doody. How'd you get in this? How'd you get in this neck of the woods, partner? <laughs> if we hadn't said anything, I should have done the entire episode as Scott. Yeah, yeah. Because he's uh, he's MIA in Vietnam, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. I and as as I said in in Star Wars Monthly Monday this month, for those of you who who don't listen to every single podcast that Two True Freaks does, we're taking conspiracy theories. We're taking submissions for conspiracy theories of. Uh, uh, Carmen Sandiago, like you know, where in the world is Scott Gardner? Where's I, Waldo? I heard he'd gone rescuing POWs in Vietnam. That's the story I heard. He's got his striped cap on and his extra, extra, extra large striped sweatshirt or sweater. <laughs> There's a book available, and you can go and buy this book and find him. 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, or you could just go to Google Google Maps and and take a satellite, pi- you know, take a satellite picture of Disney World <laughs> and try to picture him out. You can find him. Try and find the two true freaks T-shirt on the, you know. <laughs> <laughs> that ought to keep the fans busy for a while. That's a brilliant spin-off piece of merchandise you've got there. <laughs> uh, thank you for inviting me. I'm very excited to be here. Well, you know. Um, you sort of you, you sort of got this gig because we knew in in the the um, the other episode of this uh, the uh, original series we uh, we came up on a random Star Trek generator on uh, a muck time one of the all time classic Star Trek episodes and yep. and we knew that you had basically threatened to break <laughs> all international laws and send us a letter bomb if you were not on that show. Yeah, I've never invited myself on somebody else's show because, well, because it's rude, quite frankly. But when you 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 invited us to be part of the Demonzo Corps, and my God, you didn't tell me that contract was so thick. Um, yeah, well, we're <laughs> under contract not to tell you about the contract. I noticed. We can't talk about the contract till you're under contract. Well, Scott got in touch, and he he basically said, and anything you want to do. That wasn't a very good Scott Gardner. And uh, I said, no, no, I like the show when it's just you two. I mean, I like guests and everything, but the show is you two, and that's when I find it the most interesting. But I think I put a PS at the bottom of the email saying, but if you cover a mock time without me, I will have to break all your legs. And, and he was like, and okay. that's And that's four legs, too, man. That's yep. a lot of work. That's a lot of work. <laughs> <laughs> because it's, I mean, we're not doing that one yet, but it's not only one of the best episodes of Star Trek ever. It's one of the best episodes of television. TV ever, yes. And uh, so, good, good, awesome. We're plugging the other episode. I like this. Yes. Man, that's smart podcasting. I don't know if there's a division in the listenership, but you should really go and listen to both shows. There definitely is a division in the the listenership. I would say, you know, by the number of downloads, it's probably three to two on the original series side. Right. Where they where they're they're more more into the original, which hey, I'm all for that. Maybe that means all our listeners are older. Maybe it just means they're smarter than the average listener. Smarter than the average bur. <laughs> exactly. And uh, yeah, so yeah, listen to both of them because hey, we make intricate intricate jokes and puns that can only be. <laughs> only be understood if you listen to both and, and put them together as, as a whole gestalt. We'll set up a, a joke here and make the punchline in the other show to make sure you're listening. <laughs> we do it all the time and we make our Dennis Miller-like references. <laughs> See, our show's Bill Hicks references, but it's a similar thing. <laughs> yeah. Alright, so... um. I guess I should ask you, do you and 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 this question's usually answered with a no with Scott and I. But uh, had anything interesting next generation happened to you in the last little while? Uh, yes. Um, Whoa! I've been listening to the Nerdist podcast. Have you ever listened to that? No, I haven't. I've heard of it. It's a, it's, it's kind of huge, a, isn't it? Uh, yeah. So I don't tend to listen to professional in speech podcasts because. You know, they're normally very geared towards a specific demographic and they're mm-hmm. sponsored by people and all of that. But he's uh, had a couple of Next Generation guests on. 
So I listened to this week, I listened to the Patrick Stewart episode, the LeVar Burton episode, the Brent Spiner episode, and the Michael Dawn episode. Wow. All, all of them are worth listening to. The Brent Spiner one is fantastic because Brent Spiner does his Patrick Stewart impression. Have you ever heard Brent Spiner's Patrick Stewart impression? No. It is phenomenal. On audio, you would not know it wasn't Patrick Stewart. I can't believe they didn't utilize that sometime in the series, you know? Yeah, because Jonathan Frakes does a Patrick Stewart impression in an episode of Next Generation, but they never let Data do one. And it's uncanny. It's a magnificent impression of him. Worth listening to that episode just to hear that if you've never heard it before. Well, now and I'm getting li- angry that they did never used it in the show because yeah. how perfect is it that, I mean, Data would be able to almost like a tape recorder, you yeah. know, mimic him. Yeah, they wouldn't have to do that cheesy thing that they normally did of having the real actor overdub the voice. <laughs> yes, yes. Brent Spiner can actually do the accent. But what was funny in, in the Patrick Stewart one, he, he tells this story of they were 12, 14-hour days, and there was one scene where LeVar Burton falls asleep under the visor, and they filmed around him. And they told LeVar Burton that Patrick Stewart had told this story, and he goes ape shit. He goes really. He's not really angry, but he's very. That's not okay. You don't <laughs> throw an actor under the bus. It's. It was really funny to hear Jordi LaForge rant. It was brilliant. So I, I, I've been listening to that, and uh, so that's the most next generation thing I've done this past week. I'd love to. I'd love to see Levar, Levar Burton do a badass role because he's always such. He's always the ni- the nice guy. Yeah. I'd, I'd like to see him be stretched as an actor. Yeah, I'd like to be see him stretched on the rack. <laughs> he the well roots. I liked Roots and I liked the Next Generation, but man, reading Rainbow, as everybody knows, yeah. Reading I've Rainbow never seen Jordan. reading Rainbow. Well, it it was it might as well have been called um um hey let's patronize the kids. That's what I would have called it if it, if I was a PBS executive. That's what I would have called Samaritan Snur. And the kids loved it. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's very similar. Yeah, the, and the kids loved it because they're kids and they're dumb. But when I would watch it, I would be, I just, I just, I don't know, man. I like it when people talk to their kids like they're little adults. And you don't have to talk adult stuff just talk to them as if they're a thinking human being i hate it when it's like hi how are you hey have you ever wondered what it would be like up on a cloud now these guys are ready to put the enterprise into space this i want to see so rob we've shot the model now what now we have to take all the pieces that we shot of the model, all the various passes that we call it, and we put it together to make one shot. Aha. Uh-huh. What are you going to lay in next? There's uh, the existing planet. Right. And the stars. And then the next thing we'll do is we would put the Enterprise over that. To actually insert the Enterprise into a shot, it's a little more difficult than just kind of placing the ship into the shot. One of the things we need to do is actually cut a hole in the background. So we use a cookie cutter of sorts, something that looks like this. That's just a shape of the Enterprise. A silhouette. A silhouette. So we start out with this, and what we do is we actually cut a hole in the background. Wow. A shape of the Enterprise. Right. Then if we add the actual Enterprise into that hole, 
It looks like that. And there's the Enterprise on the shot. Now, can you make that image of the Enterprise move in this picture? Sure. Whoa! What'd you think? That was great. That was great. Listen, thanks, guys. I really learned a lot here. Well, you're welcome. I'll see you later, Roger. Bye-bye. <laughs> I hate that shit. Kids love you're it. Not, you're not selling reading Rainbow to me. Nah, I'm I'm not trying to. I'm 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 like George Lucas with the with the um holiday special with Reading Rainbow. I would I would throw them all in a big pile and burn them, you know. <laughs> pose as a preacher and run into town and get the whole all the you know, the local Baptists to to run out and burn their copies of Reading Rainbow. Chasing Reading Rainbow with pitchforks. I don't know what patronizing is, but I don't want nobody doing it to my kids. Especially not that black guy from Star Trek. Patronizing my kids. I got a gun. Anyway, uh, uh, energy drink, you are my friend. <laughs> I don't think you need it. Uh, I don't need it. But I of want course. it. <laughs> I control the energy drink. It does not control <laughs> me. No. <laughs> can feel energy drink growing. Okay. So I, I, I'm thrown for a loop having actual actual next generation news because I, I like my my last greatest next generation news was I got a 1993 Star Trek the Next Generation calendar at a garage sale. <laughs> they don't do next gen calendars anymore. I was looking at all the calendars in town the other day. They've still got an original Star Trek one. Mm. Mm-hmm. They don't do next-gen ones anymore. Well, you know, that might be on purpose because I'm surprised that they don't do a ne- next-gen ones now, why they didn't start doing them, because they're doing the Blu-rays of it. So yeah. it would seem like it would be synergy. Um, yeah. That uh, Obviously, they're, they're, I, I know they're stressing the, the, the old-school Star Trek because of the movies. And uh, so... Yeah, and I—I I mean, I cannot never remember a time when there wasn't a Star Trek calendar. Those were sought after when I was a little kid. I remember I got my first Starfleet calendar with with star dates on it, so I knew what the star date was every day. That was very exciting. And actually, um, the first picture in it was from the um, episode we're doing later today with a a, a muck time with with Spock's old lady. Uh, Holding their hand to up pring. to the gong. To pringa. To pringles. <laughs> That's what they did in the in the in the when they updated it, they they put a little Pringles synergy in there. <laughs> Some cross pollination with Pringles. <laughs> yes. yes, yeah, you know, product placement and on, on Vulcan. <laughs> Pringles have a lot of salt, Captain. They replenish your, your fluids for your your salt from the sweating in the hot thin Vulcan atmosphere. Well, this this is talk for for the next episode. This episode, well, <laughs> we're gonna hit some highs and lows <laughs> in this episode. We're gonna hit the highest highs and the lowest lows. <laughs> I think that's fair to say. Yeah, be ready for a manic depressive or bipolar ride through Star Trek today because. 
it's it's yeah we're gonna we're we are going to uh we're gonna touch the sky and then we're gonna find out the world is hollow <laughs> so so how is that for a cross cross pollination yes okay so the uh the first episode today is at least we're we're, we're, we're gonna do the old um roller coaster it's Episode 216, season 216, Q Who. Next time on Star Trek, the next generation, the evil Q returns. What do you want, Q? My purpose is to join you. No. And Picard faces Q's wrath when the Enterprise is hurled into a living nightmare. We have an intruder. Now the crew is helpless against an invincible race of alien killing machines. You can't outrun them. You can't destroy them. On Star Trek, The Next Generation. So apparently, Andy, we have our first listener-submitted synopsis here from uh, Arnie in California. So I'm just going to play this. All right, everybody stand by. We're going to get ready to record Star Trek Monthly Monday synopsis for Q-Who with Arnold Schwarzenegger and Q-Mr. Schwarzenegger. Thank you, I'm excited to be here. For the two true freaks. They are some of my favorite freaks that are out there. Now this time to get down to business. This time to do the synopsis. Uh, the, the, the recall of the story. Yes, recall. A total recall. I am totally going to recall the story. Okay. Our story is Horton Hears a Who. Horton Hears a Who is a 1954 book by Theodore Zeus Geisel. On the name of Dr. Seuss, it is the second book to feature Horton the Elephant. The first being Horton Hatches the Egg. Ah, yes, so this would be a sequel. Ah, they should have had me in a sequel. For for Predator 2, there was a piece of crap. Not like the first one, the first Predator was awesome! Ah! In the jungle of Knoll, a jungle environment populated by anthropomorphic Fauna. I don't know, I guess it talks to you. An elephant named Horton encounters a clover inhabited by a society of tiny beings known as the Hoons of microscopic size. After conversing with the mayor of Whoville, Horton decides to dedicate all of his time to tending to the needs of the Hoons and guarding him from the hazards of the much larger world. However, the sour kangaroo, doubting Horton's stories of the Hoons, encourages all the other animals that Horton is lying and that they decide to destroy the clover out of contempt. The terrified, panicking Hoos are left to despair until town mayor stumbles upon a young boy named Jojo. Jojo? Gujo? Ah, whatever. Whose mouth? He raises a megaphone to just as the animals are about to bring the devastation upon all of Whoville. Jojo screams the word, Yop! Which is amplified by the megaphone in the nick of time. Realizing that her suspicions were correct, the sour kangaroo redeems herself by joining Horton and devoting all of her time to protecting the Hoos. Ah... What a wonderful story. I love this story. I read it over and over. It's how I learned to speak English. Yes. Yes, it's just great. All right. I hope that is enough for you guys. I have to go. I have to make another Expendables movie. Uh, two Trophics, signing off. Hasta la vista, freakies. Hey, uh, why didn't you tell him he was reading the wrong story? Really? He's Arnold Schwarzenegger. Are you going to tell him he's reading the wrong story? Somebody get me Morgan Freeman. And usually at this point, Scott Gardner would be whipping out his his compendium 
or whatever it is. At least I hope that's all he's whipping out. <laughs> well, you never know <laughs> with <laughs> Skype and with Scott Gardner. Um, <laughs> Thud. Oh, Scott's whipped it out again. <laughs> but this time, since we have such a enthusiastic guest who is also under contract with Demonza Corp, which <laughs> means it has leverage over him, Andrew Leyland has lovingly crafted synopses for all our Star Trek episodes today, so it's a special treat. Um, if there's any, if there's any um, continuity errors or if it, if it's wrong in the synopsises, we can it's put it right on your nose today. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm sure there'll be some ardent Trekkies out there who will email in if I make a mistake. And yeah, Price Scott Gardner. <laughs> <laughs> If he's back from now, he's gonna put on his Donald Trump wig and uh, you're fired. <laughs> you can't fire me. I've signed <laughs> a contract. <laughs> All right, so cue who? You want me to take it away? Hit us, hit us, baby. <clears throat> cue who originally aired on the eighth of May, nineteen eighty-nine, and sometime in summer 1991 in the UK. I couldn't find an exact date. It was written by Maurice Hurley and directed by Rob Bowman. Stardate 42761.3. Geordie's macking on a pretty new ensign, Sonia Gomez, instead of reprimanding her for drinking hot chocolate near all that sensitive computer equipment. It's not an issue for long because she spills it all over Picard, who was down in engineering for no reason whatsoever. Picard is his usual cheery self and buggers off to change his clothes when he finds himself not in the turbo lift, but on a shuttlecraft in the middle of nowhere with Q. In 10 forward, Geordie continues to hit on the junior officer under his command, which must surely be against some Starfleet conduct rules, whilst Guinan feels a disturbance in the force. She asks the crew if anything is wrong, but as usual for Starfleet's finest, they're largely clueless. Back on the shuttle, it seems Q wants to join the crew, and Picard uh, kind of agrees. Instantly, they are back on the Enterprise, where it turns out that Guinan and Q have previous, and she figures out that he's been kicked out of the Q continuum. Picard gets all pompous about how mankind is so ready for what's out there, and Q's all, you are so not, and Picard's all smug and such. So, in the click of a cosmic finger, the Enterprise finds itself literally where no one has gone before. In no time at all, they discover a huge cube-shaped starship that Guinan explains is manned by the Borg. Not a race of single-minded tennis players, but in actuality a race of beings interested in absorbing technology, with absolutely no interest whatsoever in talking. This kind of leaves Picard in a quandary as all he does is talk, and so after a brief battle in which the Enterprise is outclassed, they hold a conference. Riker leads an away team to the Borg ship, where we meet Borg babies, and the Enterprise is again outclassed in battle. Picard orders another conference. With the Borg regenerating their vessel, the Enterprise flees and has huge chunks cut out of the hull. Q shows up and Picard says that they, they were all a bit smug earlier and if Q could work it into his busy day, if it's not too much trouble, to get them the hell out of there, it would be very much appreciated. Q obliges and later, Picard and Guinan notes that now the Borg know that they are out there, they will be coming. Can you do me a favor? Can you say huge hunks of the hull again? Just that bit? Yes, just huge hunks of the hull. Huge chunks of the hull. Huge hunks of the hull. <laughs> huge hunks of the hull. I just love how you say that, thank you. 
That's that's the good stuff, man. Huge chunks cut out of the hull. Huge chunks cut out of the hull. Huge chunks cut out of the hull. <laughs> huge chunks of the hull. Not huge chunks out of hull, which is a, a city in England. <laughs> it was with your accent. It was. I'm like, oh, there's the British stuff they love. I gotta get more huge chunks of the hull. Go at working. <laughs> Well, I'm glad you liked it. <laughs> Thank you. That, that was my synopsis. Any complaints, direct them at me. I liked it. It had personality, unlike a lot of the ones we've been doing lately. <laughs> that, have been, that have been pretty dry. Um, I have a question. What do you think of Sonia Gomez? Um, they were obviously gearing up the triple-breasted whore of Eroticon 3 for big things, weren't they? Mm-hmm. Because she was the triple-breasted whore of Eroticon 3. And was Puerto she? Rico. Yeah, that was her. That was Lysia Neff. Oh. I was, I was, I was trying to think if, if they actually showed the... the um, oh, what, I'm, uh, oh go, uh, what was it? Erotica Golumbets? I thought it was... I, I, th- I was trying to picture if she, they actually showed her in the Hitchhiker's Guide TV show. Yeah, but I guess they, they only her referenced her. Yeah, the triple-breasted whore of erotic on sex. I can't remember her name. It was Eccentria Golumbets. That's it. The triple-breasted whore of erotic on I just like saying that, too. <laughs> you just like saying triple-breasted whore. Yeah, uh, well, yeah but she's were... the opposite of the, the, the hooker in, in Total Recall in this. She's the total squeaky girl-next-door go-getter in this mm. one. And the, they're building her up because she's in the following episode as mm-hmm. well. And she mm-hmm. gets an introductory scene and she meets Picard and she spills hot chocolate all over him, which can't be that hot because he doesn't go, Ow, Jesus! Jeez. He just, just kind of goes, Oh, you have spilled chocolate all over me, you stupid woman. So, And, and then we get the classic Pratt Folly, like, I'm going to wipe it up off the captain's crotch awkwardly. Yes. <laughs> And instead, Geordie stood there going, Hey, I saw her first. I think after the 40s, nobody ever did that again. When they spilled (laughs) something on people, would start dabbing, you know, they were just like, you know, oh, that's right, I've seen it in the movies. You just don't, dabbing the crotch makes it worse. It made a comeback in the 24th century, apparently. I guess so, they'd, for enough time had passed, so, you know, you know what they say. Yep. Those who do not remember history are doomed to repeat doomed it. To repeat it. Why was Picard in engineering? Fool me once. <laughs> Won't be fooled just, again. He was just there, wasn't he? Yeah, he, he was just making his rounds or something. I don't he know. Say why he's there. He doesn't say I just popped down to see Geordi, but now you've ruined the lining of my natty suit. Yeah. I like I'm walking around it. the ship and making everyone uncomfortable. <laughs> he's just the boss who wanders around to make sure you're working, isn't yeah. he? Yeah, yeah. Because he's yep. got nothing else to do with his time. Picard is coming. Look busy. <laughs> so then Q arrives. Have you seen this one before? I have seen this one before, but a long time ago. Like when I was in college, which means through a haze, a slightly <laughs> stronger haze of, of, of drugs and sleeplessness as compared to now. But yeah, I, I, I did see this before. I, I saw pretty much most of the first and second season, and I always remembered Q was what I I loved the idea of Q. And then I sort of started developing a love hate relationship with Q, which I think is what you're supposed to do anyway. 
Yeah, I don't think you're supposed... The problem that they had with Q in later episodes was they make him too cuddly. He's supposed yes. to be antagonistic. And well, slightly irritating. This one, he's a little more cuddly to the point of where, you know... Maybe not Picard... Maybe not, you know, Picard and the crew. But myself, I was thinking, yeah, it could be kind of interesting to have Q on the crew of the Enterprise. Although it could kind of dominate the stories a lot to have him hanging around a lot. Yeah, but, um, because John Delancey's much more fun than arguably the rest of the actors combined. Right, right. And uh, so, but at the same time, at the end of the, at the, end of the star date, um, there's 18 crew members dead. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, you know, I, I was surprised that Picard wasn't m just insanely livid you know by the end of this episode there's sort of like mm, you know there's a little element of Q's taught us a valuable lesson here but I would be like fuck this guy and as yeah. we learn more about the Borg too those 18 people were probably brought in you know and 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 now they know all about human physiology and and all of that so I mean basically what what Q did was a really bad thing for the Federation by introducing them to the Borg and and letting the Borg know he was letting them know that the Borg exist, but at the same time now the Borg are are hot on their tra on humans' trails, or at least they know about them and mm. probably would well, like to acquire their technology. Well, there's a couple of things. The one Maurice Hurley who wrote this episode has been very outspoken about how difficult it was to write the next generation if you weren't allowed to be confrontational. And I do get a certain writer commentary on this, in that Picard is very smug in his superiority. And essentially this is Q saying, stop being so smug, space is a dangerous place. And he doesn't really learn that lesson at the end of the episode. He's still smug, and he's still very, ah, oh, we'll be able to accept whatever comes. Right. And, whatever, and what you said there about Q's actually been nasty to them here this would get retconned in both enterprise and voyager which is why i don't like enterprise and voyager because they seem to go out of the way to just piss all over the continuity in later episodes of those shows it will be established that the borg already knew about us and were on the way anyway and that makes it seem that in this episode q does us a favor right right which is, like you say, is completely contrary to the episode itself. Yeah, yeah. If that's a favor... Well, I mean, you know, on a cosmic scale, I guess you could, you know, in in the scope of history, you could say he did us a favor. But yeah, in the here that, well, and now that they're living in, there's 18 dead crewmen that mm. Picard's going to have to go and talk to their families yeah, essentially what Voyager and Enterprise say is that by doing that, Q prepared us. Mm -hmm. Without that, we wouldn't have known they were coming and we wouldn't have had Commander Shelby's task force in the best of both worlds and then in subsequent episodes. But certainly from watching this one, you get the feeling Q's just keep teaching us a lesson. He does, yeah. He's not doing this to, to do anything nice for us. Yeah. Well, that was my interpretation of it anyway. Well, it might be so it might be something nice for us, but I think he's enjoying it on a sadistic level too, oh, you yeah. know. Well, throughout the entire series he enjoys winding Picard up. Yeah. 
I would have loved to see how Q and Kirk interacted and how long it would have taken Kirk to do one of his, you know, double fist punches. <laughs> just kick his ass. Yeah, exactly. Just right off the top when he sees him, just be like, Q! Yeah, just punch him every time he shows up. <laughs> I know how to deal with your type, yeah. Well, they did that in Deep Space Nine. When he showed up in Deep Space Nine, Cisco belted him. Oh, good. And that's the only time he showed up in Deep Space Nine. You see, if I were Picard, I would have let Q join the Enterprise because then I could have done anything in the world that I wanted. And just <laughs> and Q did it. it. Yeah, I don't know. I, it's, it's, we're, Q's doing weird shit. I don't know. Yeah. Um, Guinan senses a disturbance in the Force. Because Picard's not on the Enterprise. Did that make any sense to you? I At first, it didn't... Because it was, at first it was like, and it's funny that you say disturbance in the forest too, because at first it was like, ah, oh, the captain's gone, you know. And I would think that if you were in space and all of a sudden a crewman's, you know, life form disappeared off the computer, there would be some program in the computer that would go beep, 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 beep. Excuse me, somebody's just dropped dead or, you know tumbled out into the vacuum of space something's up yeah because they've established in an earlier episode haven't they that the computer knows where they are at all times mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and uh and i thought and when, and at first i thought she was sensing his absence but i think what she was maybe more sensing was the presence of q which doesn't make sense because the, you know Q basically teleported him really far away mm. but then again if you're thinking on a quantum level you know maybe Q's right there with whatever there's there's something up with both of them are are obviously some sort of physical manifestations of something non-linear or non-comprehensible or something I mean that was sort of that the, they seem to be two sort of higher evolved races that don't really, obviously, don't get along. Yeah, because we get well. a lot. Well, we get a bit of Guinan's backstory in this one, which is more than we've had since she's been introduced, and is more than we'll get, I think, until we get to Time's Arrow late in the God. Is that the end of the fifth series or the sixth series? I don't remember. But we will learn more about her later. But the whole her being able to sense something's wrong plays into yesterday's Enterprise as well. Because it's her that figures out the timeline is not as it should be. Yeah, so it's weird. And it, and it doesn't mesh with, like, the um, um, Generations. Yeah. Where it was sort of her backstory and it's like, oh, she's a... She's, you know, a... Um, oh, what, you, what refugee... That yeah. got stuck. That, that got stuck in this sort of timeless state, and which made her seem more like a physical, you know, just sort of like a not human, but you know, regular humanoid, instead of some sort of cosmic Q-like being, you know. And yeah, it's... yeah, you get the the feeling from this one. She's got some kind of supernatural powers, which they never follow up on. Yeah, and well, I wonder if they ever kept track of all the things that they were like, you know, because she's obviously, obviously they want her to be this enigmatic character with a weird backstory because they got Whoopi Goldberg. You might as well give her like a lot of um, interesting 
interesting stuff to work with when you got her. And I think maybe they went nuts and just sort of put so much... It doesn't seem to me like somewhere there's somebody... You, you can open up a book and it's like, Guinan, this is what Guinan is, this is her character. We can only reveal that, but, you know, you only see her as a bartender. Yeah. But this is all that. So, so it seems like they sort of gave people, the writers, free reign to sort of make enigmatic references to her power or her knowledge or... Or her origin, or something, or her age, and all that stuff. Very X Files. Yeah, making like, up as they go along. Yes, yes. Like I remember, there was one episode with a guy who, could, with um, character who could tell when people were gonna die, and he he touched Agent Scully. And he's like, "You don't die," and it's like, "Oh well, that's." I remember watching it going, "That's a fascinating idea." I would bet a thousand dollars that it'll never, <laughs> it'll never, never get followed again. through. Yeah, yeah, it, that it was <laughs> something that, that they just threw in there, and and that's it. Well, we'll get to that as if there's a season fourteen or something. I don't know. Yeah, well, the, there were no writers who lasted from season one and two, who went on to be in three, four, five, six, and seven, or however long this ran for. So there's always been that thing, if you've done any of the reading in the compendium, that if they referred to anything that was in the first couple of seasons, it was normally because of luck. Mm-hmm. Because there was no writers around who were around in the first series. So Guinan's backstory just seemed to get made up as it went along. And they would even change the Borg's motivation. In this one, the motivation is given purely that they, they go around stealing people's technology. There's nothing mentioned about assimilation. Right down to the fact that we see Borg babies. Yes, uh, almost as if they're yeah, incu- like incubator babies. Mm, because data says as soon as they're born, the implants are put in. So the implication there is that they don't assimilate other races; they actually reproduce in some way. Well, and maybe, maybe, maybe. Well, you know, I mean, I guess they could do both. I guess you know, when you have, if you send a Borg cube ship out and it's floating through space for a long enough time, without finding a race to assimilate it might need to clone up some babies to keep the ship running as the, the other ones grow old and wear mm. out you know because the, the baby looked pretty silly with Borg stuff Borg implants yes <laughs> yes it looked very strange but the, the, my my big point on this episode is yes a bit the, the the Borg the one thing I remember about seeing this episode and I think what this episode serves best as when it first came out and not so much now with hindsight and all the history of the Borg to, you know, or that's coming, all the episodes and movies that feature the Borg um, and comics and just stories, you know, we know so much about the Borg. For an introduction of a villain, this was awesome because there wasn't really a good good villain they 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 had the um romulans sort of show up once and then um um what the ferengi were good seemed like they were like ah let's make the ferengi the the new badasses and there was just no way anybody was going to take them seriously as 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 scary bad guys so i think this was their you know we need we need klingons but it was a different approach than another it was a different kind of enemy and this episode, when they came under attack, and it was just that sort of relentless, you're doomed attack to where 
something would happen and they would all react and go, oh, geez. And it would seem like, okay, we, we uh, blew out their tractor beam and uh, we'll go and check it in. It would seem like, okay, you know, we're learning a little bit of these guys. But then all of a sudden the tractor beam would be back on. And it was basically, you know, they were quickly realizing you're probably not going to get away from this experience. You know, this experience 99.999% of the time seems to lead to your ship being scrapped and absorbed into this ship and and everybody being dead. And, and the Borg are just sort of nonplussed. You know, they're just, oh, they're running away. Let's chase after them. You know, it's 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 the the routine for them. And that was pretty scary. Like, now when I was looking at the inside of the Borg ship, I'm like, it's sort of like H.R. Giger light. You know, mm. sort of a little more friendly version of H.R. Giger, but still, it was... I, I got that and a bit of Kirby. I got a bit of Jack yes, Kirby in the design yes. work. But it's from the minute they get catapulted to Borg space, it doesn't feel like an episode of The Next Generation. Which is a good thing. Because for the first time, the show feels uncomfortable mm-hmm. and dangerous. And mm-hmm. the, the crew are now in a situation where the plush carpeted ship isn't cutting it. And they don't know what to do. It's about and, to get scrapped, yeah. Yeah, it's about to get turned into to kibbles and bits. And since uh, September 11th as well, there's a subtext to this episode that wasn't there originally, of the faceless enemy that just wants to to destroy your way of life. And they don't actually want anything. So there's nothing to understand about them. Right. And the Borg are just relentlessly pursuing them. And there's no there's no point of reasoning either. There's yeah. no way you're going to get them at a table and negotiate a, a treaty or something like that. Yeah, so you're down here to the, the pure difference between Picard and Kirk. And then there's that whole end sequence where, Q, where Picard basically gets on his knees and begs and says, we're not ready. And Q says, another man might have been embarrassed to say those words. Do you think he's referring specifically to Kirk, though? I think so. <laughs> because Kirk I can't have see a only situation... been embarrassed to say them. He probably would not have said them. That's what I was going to say. I, I can't see a situation in any point where Kirk would have begged somebody to save his life. No, I think Q would have been the one begging at, <laughs> by the end of that episode, if, if I recall right. He would probably be crying and then his parents would show up. Take him home by the ear. Take him home. Like he's Trelane. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) There was a funny bit at the beginning where um, they're they're doing the sensor sweep for Picard when they find out that he's not on the ship. And uh, then it cuts to a captain's log entry and an exterior shot of the ship. And Picard, uh, Riker, sorry, gives some spiel about how it's been six hours. And then it cuts back inside the ship and it's exactly the same camera angle, implying that Riker's stood still (laughs) for six hours. (laughs) <laughs> which I thought was, was very funny and no, I it, was just, it was just like 30 seconds but it was 15 seconds at the beginning of the 6 hours and then he got <laughs> up and got in the same position 6 hours later and it's like did they, did they not change shifts the next generation <laughs> never change shifts I know that, that you know that bridge is getting pretty funky by that time it's probably just like Jesus because even in the original you saw that they went off shift and they didn't all work all of the time. And I think there is an episode later on called Data's Day where Data is the only one who works 24 hours a day. Which, if Data's been classified as a life form, is surely slave labor. Right, right. Because he, he works all the time. He must get some time off to do his painting or look after his cat or something like that. But 
And there was great continuity with the Neutral Zone episode as well. I don't think... Which one? I don't think I've seen the... The Neutral Zone is the one at the end of the first season where the Romulans are back. Oh, right, right. And right, the, patrol... the one that I just referenced uh, earlier. <laughs> patrol in the Neutral Zone, and they say that there's all these, these worlds look like they've had huge gobs scooped out. And Data has a line in this episode that the damage to the planet is exactly the same as what we encountered on the Neutral Zone. Ah, right. So, because originally this was going to be part of that series cliffhanger. And the episodes were going to be interlinked and that got nixed in favour of each episode being a standalone episode with no continuity between each show. Um, this had this one of these wonderful Star Trek The Next Generation moments. It's I'm having a hard time finding like nitpicks of things to criticize about this episode because I, lo- I love this episode. It's yeah. it's just it's just a riot, but uh and and the and the nitpicks are more kind of fun Star Trek weird dumb things that they do on 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 the show where um they have, you know, Guinan's wistfully thoughtfully staring out into space. Yeah. And they call her up and they're like, "Guinan, you know, uh Look on the screen. And she turns on the screen and looks at a smaller screen version of what she was just looking out in a full real life panorama out the window. And like, I thought exactly the same thing. She was just staring at this out the window. Yes, in real life. Screen on. Because there's another little daft thing like that as well. I mean, it's a really dramatic, well directed, well lit shot, but the camera zooms in at 10 forwards bar and Guyner just pops up from behind the bar. Yes, yes. And you're like, what the hell was she doing behind the bar? The, the tent forward's empty. It's obviously short. I mean, unless she was restocking the glasses or something. This is cleaning out the drains or something. I don't know, <laughs> you know, but there might be an inter- interdimensional. She might have just popped popped into existence there. She might be able to teleport around like Q. Just I mean, they, they, they obviously do that like two cats, like... <laughs> Thing upon the almost literally, you know, upon their first meet, you, you, and and god damn it, man, these guys are so like stubbornly open minded that there's no point where Picard takes her aside and goes, What the hell was he talking about? You know, um, do you have anything to tell me because you are on my ship? You know, he's just stubbornly like, No, Q, I'm not gonna play your games and be suspicious of Guinan. I I'd still check it out, you know? Yeah, surely he can order her to tell him everything she knows about Q instead of playing this yeah. enigmatic. Well, that, yeah, that's the, the the most important thing is she obviously has information on Q and his his race and will only answer it in, like, you know, they, they'll, they'll only, like, tell... Like, he's like, Q tells Picard she's not what she appears to be or something. Neither of them will spell it out. So there might be a good reason for that, but, you know, come on, man, t- you know, spill it. You know, this guy's, yeah. there's 18 dead crew members. Well, it's compare the behavior in, in both the shows. Uh, in a mock time, Spock's behavior is threatening the ship. Kirk orders him to tell him what's going on. Friendship be damned. And Picard never does that. It was it was ultimately my, my big problem with the next generation. They were all just so nice. And it just gets a bit boring after a while that they're all so nice to each other. 
Well, it's funny that you mentioned. I mean, I think um, that's the the Roddenberry effect. And yeah, and when you mentioned in the synopsis with Jordy and Sonia Gomez that it it might be kind of a breach of protocol for them to be flirting and potentially an item because that's definitely what they're setting it. They're like, here's a girlfriend for Jordy, you know. Mm. A nice, nice sort of the, the female version of Jordy, you know, plucky and smart, little awkward, you know. But wow. Jordy's yes, and but Jordy's been there longer, so he knows the ropes more. And they have a, and they have a little bit of a, you know, back and forth going. But um, I don't think in Starfleet it would really. I think everybody was because Gene Roddenberry is the one who is ultimately setting the rules I think everybody was allowed to scrog whoever they wanted whenever <laughs> they I, I don't think there would be anything like consensual that happens between crew members that could end up being like a point of blackmail or something because in the future everybody you know so it's it's just like what do you mean it's like playing ping pong or something you know you, you can't get in trouble for playing ping pong with somebody you know maybe if it wasn't your wife or something but I don't know what marriage rules are like in the future if Roddenberry's writing it I think everybody's in a big sweaty pile you know <laughs> Roddenberry with a camera you know engineering's just this big sweaty mess of bodies when Picard's not around right uh, maybe, you maybe know, that's what he was doing he was checking the around, doing the job Jordy keeps turning the heat on and heat up and like, yeah, oh, just take your shirt off. It's it's a lot better. It's a lot more manageable when you take your shirt off. Could we just turn the heat down? No, no. One thing no. I did think was a bit odd. They first encounter the Borg and Riker says, keep the shields down. We don't want to appear antagonistic. <laughs> and I just thought, is this why this guy's not a captain yet? Because Riker is a monumental stiff in both of these episodes. He really is. And you're like, it's, no. It's just like getting on a motorcycle and going, uh, you know, don't put on your helmet. Yeah. <laughs> it's just dumb. Yet arming your phasers and photon torpedoes would make you appear antagonistic. Arming and locking them and yeah. stuff like that. Putting but... your shields up would just be smart. And what's the reward for Riker's wonderful command decision in this episode? 18 people die, and huge hunks get cut out of the hull. Well done, Will. <laughs> I can see why you took 17 years to get your own ship. And this he, is, I mean, this he should have taken lucky. that commission last episode yeah. and had his own ship. He could have avoided all of this. He could, he could have. And uh, this is, I mean, we're lucky here. Riker only makes one dumb command decision. In the episode we're going to look at in a minute, it's his dumb command decisions that lead to the episode. Yeah, well, yeah, the next episode is going to be a whole big bucket of dumb. <laughs> the direction in this one's really good as well. And the lighting's really unusual for Next Generation, apart from when they're on the bridge and you well, know, it's lit like Holiday Inn. It's obvious, and, and, and this was true of the original Star Trek too, and I don't know, really know as much about the other ones, but that Enterprise one I watched that was in the Mirror Universe, you can tell sometimes there's some episodes where they spend a little extra time and money and, you know, beef up the budget, beef up the time that they can light everything and, and you know, make it a little more cinematic. And I think this one was done for that specific reason. I think they knew at this point that uh, Q 
was a very appealing. By this time, they'd probably been getting letters and stuff that that everybody loved Q. So they were like, okay, when we introduce, when we have Q come back, maybe we want to beef it up a little bit and make those shows a little more memorable. And hey, boy, it worked with this. I mean, if I, I imagine they just wouldn't have the budget to maintain this level of uh, Star Trekiness, as we'll find out in in the next episode. <laughs> well, well, Rob Bauman is at, did actually go on to a feature career. He went on to be on the X Files as one of their primary directors, and I think he directed Electra, the movie, which you know isn't a, a glowing endorsement. Yeah, uh, but he did awesome. one of the X Files movies, and um, he did a couple of episodes of Next Generation before he went off I never and got saw himself that. a. The second X Files. Well, did he do the first or the second one? I heard the second one was really weird. Yeah, the second one's very strange because Billy Connolly's in it as a pedophile, and it's it is a very. I saw the second one, and I was I'm not sure what I think about it. It was very strange. I can't remember if he directed the second one. I know he's directed a number of episodes of Castle, which Jonathan Frakes also directs. And he did Electra. He did Reign of Fire as well. Is that the Christian Bale film? I think so. It was a dragon. That was a dragon yeah. movie. And I remember seeing it. And the only thing, the only element that I really liked about it was in the future when mankind was beaten back down to sort of medieval times that they would act out Star Wars. Yeah. For the they kids. They were telling The Empire Strikes Back as a, as a story. As a they? story. Yeah. That so was he... that was a really awesome. That was awesome. So Rob Bowman's actually gone on to have a successful directing career after just away from Star Trek. And on the basis of this episode, it didn't look like a standard Next Generation show, which I think is for the good, because a lot of the Next Generation's directing is put camera in the middle of the bridge yes, and let them talk, and then do a close-up of somebody on the bridge and let them talk. And even the engineering camera angles all tend to be the same. Well, you know, on the floor of all those places are little pieces of electrical tape for where to, you know, to put the, the tripod. Yeah, and it's one of the things where the the original does score over next gen a lot. There was a lot more imaginative camera angles in the original Star Trek. Sometimes, yeah, sometimes, but they were also sort of built in. You know what I mean? They were sort of. Um, they were sort of part of the visual style of the show, which was very much the visual style of it. You know, it was it was a toned down um, version of, say, the way they shot Batman. <laughs> yeah, you it know. wasn't quite as wacky with the Dutch angles. Right, right, but they they had them in there, and it, and it oh, was yeah. and it was part of. I think that was. I think in that time period they were doing that to make it seem more fantastical and futuristic and with and with star, star trek the next generation was very much shot like stuff was shot in those days and it was it was probably like every star trek on a a shoestring budget so you know the the the, the whip was being cracked just to get it in the can and get it done so a lot of times you had directors who's who it was a job, you know, they were like, okay, what are you doing? I'm doing a Star Trek episode. Okay. I got the script in the mail and we go in and we go and I've watched them all. Okay. This is how you set up a scene in engineering and boom, you get it done. And if that director gets it done quickly, <laughs> he gets brought back. Yeah, 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 exactly. So, 
it's it's almost more about getting it done, you know, and you sort and you're relying on the writing end of it to to cover a lot of it. But every once in a while, you get to slow down a little bit and 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 you have your budget for the for the season, and maybe sometimes you want to you know lump up the you know have some have some lean shows so that you could because there's totally in in the original series there's definitely some low budget shows there that allowed you know um city on the edge of forever to be to be made for the extra money for for a good writer and a good director and and a little more union lighting work and stuff like that well, you'll you'll get to the episode in season two that paid for the budget increase on this one later on, which I'm really looking forward to you watching. It all takes place in the elevator. <laughs> Even better, it all takes place using clips from previous episodes. Oh yeah, the classic. <laughs> yep. When in doubt, use a clip show. I remember that was one of the most disappointing moments when that show came on. I was like, really, a Star Trek clip show? Because <laughs> at least <sighs> when the original did it, they used footage we hadn't seen before. Uh huh, and and at least it wasn't framed by like Picard and Worf and and Troy and Riker being like stuck on the, on the elevator and having to be like, remember the time, <laughs> remember the time when I was a pompous ass. We 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 had so uh, you're such a pompous. I'm never a pompous ass. Well, let me recall a few times here. <laughs> wee, 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 wee. Oh God, yeah, that one's terrible. I did like it when Picard gave Worf an order, and then Worf just gave that order to somebody else. <laughs> Dele- <laughs> Delegation. Like Worf was like, yeah, Worf was like, I cannot be bothered with this order, Captain. And I... he just, you do it, security guard number two. <laughs> I was very surprised when security guard number two didn't get killed. Yeah. I thought that's why Worf had given it to the other guy. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I And... and... I mean this 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 show is this show is bruising for a red shirt death, and mm. I guess there were eighteen of them, but you don't get to see, they're all off screen they're all yeah you get yeah. to see the slice get taken out of the ship, but you know you don't and see bodies go- tumbling into space or anything like that um where did the ship get fixed? It seems fine at the end of the episode. I yeah I wondered about that I I would I I was figuring that they would have to limp to a star base you know with a with a um, force field over the hole in the ship you know because they 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 mentioned that they put a force field over the hole to to yeah to maintain to, ship integrity mm-hmm. but that we never get a special effect shot showing a damaged hole do we we see the shot of them carving big chunks out of it but then the rest of the shots of the Enterprise are just stock shots. Yeah, well, that's now we know where the budget was <laughs> lies. <laughs> the budget was and, in and building the Borg ship. Yeah, although the Borg ship was pretty cool. Our first look at the Borg. Well, that's the thing. Now, now this episode isn't as scary as when it first came out. When it first came out, it was just sort of you know what the hell is going on here? You know, you had never seen the you know Borg before, and uh, you know so the the scene where they actually go on the Borg ship and realize. The individual Borgs don't even see them or care about them mm. was kind of mind blowing at the time. It was, it was, you know, you you were really dealing with a true. The only thing that wasn't truly alien about the Borg were that they were all bipedal, 
you know, two arms and two legs humanoids. You know, yeah. I, I, See, I wonder why they, you know, I mean, really, maybe they didn't know at this time, but y you would think that the Borg ship would have maybe like squid creatures or, you know, all different kind of hordas, Borg hordas and stuff like oh, that. Oh, yeah. It's always human, but it's, you know, the massive. And I guess that's sort of a Star Trek thing. There's always the hint of the, the, the people who are seeding the universe with humanoids. So that mostly you see, you know, pasty face white people as Borgs. But yeah, because a Borg Klingon or a Borg Horde would have been brilliant. Oh, yeah. A Borg Klingon would be quite a... <laughs> uh, have quite a mess of a face, boy. Yeah. <laughs> Especially if you had to, you know, build all the Borg stuff to go over their, their skull plates and... And, uh... And stuff yeah, to like go that. over the, the pasty head. Because what struck me about it this time was how cheap the Borg looked. Because when they first appeared, they were oh, but now we've seen them in first contact in and movies, in Void. Yeah, yeah. Where they, they had more money to spend on the makeup and the the costumes and better computer graphics to you know. Yeah, maybe yeah. if CGI had been more prominent, we would have seen more alien-looking Borg. I'll I'll tell you what. I'll take the cheesy. I'll take the cheesy plastic accessories Borg. Over the sexy Borg Queen any day. Yeah, because you're suddenly not frightened of her anymore. Yeah. Because you know, if Kirk had met her, that would have been it. Oh, Kirk would have Kirk would have been all over that. Yeah. But, you know, yeah, I just, I didn't like the idea. It's like, oh, well, we do have one Borg who is kind of an individual and shows it, you know, uh, what was that? That was so that they could have sexy... Hellraiser Borg Queen. Yeah. No. no. I'll, I'd rather take them. They, they, I mean, they literally, they look like action figures blown up. Like yeah, because they, they had figures. two different Borg Queens, didn't they? The one in the film was replaced by a different actress in Voyager, but then the film actress came back later on. Oh, I never, I've never seen even one episode of Voyager. Oh, you're not missing anything. Uh, I'll I'll watch it eventually. I have to, and I'll watch <laughs> Deep Space Nine and Enterprise. I'll watch them all. <laughs> Otherwise, Star Trek Monthly Monday is going to be very short. Well, yeah. Well, no. I mean, there. I mean, Star Trek: The Next Generation is that that'll keep us busy for years and years. But yeah, eventually, yeah, we are going to run out of. We've still got a couple years of the original series, I think, to to keep us going. Very good. Right, well, I, I thought this one was really good. I thought it was um, it was a show that at least showed the difference between the old and the new versions of it. I know. The I kind of don't want to let it go. You know what I mean? I kind of <laughs> don't want to finish the review of it because I know it's because we know what's coming the next. Side, yeah. <laughs> uh, the score was really good in this one as well. Yes. Because a lot of my problem with the next generation is the score is this bland, tedious dum dum dum. It's either dum 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 dum, or it's yeah. like kind of Enya-like, um, yeah, tinkly, tinkly, um, new age, new age sort of music a lot of times. But this one was actually pounding, and although there's there's a bit of uh, synth stuff in the early half of it, it actually sounds orchestral as you get towards the end. It probably still isn't because I don't think they had the budget for an orchestral score in The Next Generation. But uh, I think this was Ron Jones who did the music for this one, who would famously be fired in Season 4. 
Mm-hmm. And and Ron Jones did do it. He was he was heavier on the synthy the synthy stuff. But um, yeah, okay. There's a, there's, a, there's a little bit too much conference in it, but other than that, uh, that's it's... actually what. That's the only other note I have is like in quotes. I have the words "conference" twice, <laughs> two conferences. Yeah. They're being pursued by a relentless foe who will not give up. But Picard still has time to call a couple of conferences. I like to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about our problems. Yes. No, let's not bother. And uh, and obviously. Both of those conferences came to pretty much nothing. Yep. Absolutely nothing. All right, man. Do you want to do it? Do we, do we want to do it? Uh, go on. We have to cover it. Yeah. Okay. Purema is to cover everything. So after one exceptionally good one, with a few minor, minor niggles, we come to Samaritan Snur. Next time on Star Trek The Next Generation, Captain Picard's life is on the line as he faces a critical operation. This man is dying. And Geordi is held hostage by alien kidnappers. Drop your shields! This is the Enterprise. Return our personnel or face immediate reprisal. Two lives hang in the balance. The captain needs our help. Phaser's ready, sir. My friends, my people, they're trying to kill us! Fire! On Star Trek The Next Generation. Uh, which Samaritan on... snore. <laughs> <laughs> I actually quite like that. Oh, yeah, this aired in the US on the 15th of May, 1989, and it aired in the UK the week after Q-Hook. It was written by Robert L. McCullough. I do not recognize the name and don't know if he wrote any more. And directed by Les Landau. Are you ready for the synopsis? Yeah. <laughs> we'll try to contain your enthusiasm. Oh, energy drinks, do your thing. Uh, Stardate 42779.1. The Enterprise is going to monitor some pulsar thing, because that's what the Enterprise does, apparently. But Picard is told by Pulaski that his false heart needs replacing because it's faulty. It's a very routine operation. So, of course, by being told it's a very routine operation, we know it's not going to be. But because Picard's a complete arse, he refuses to let Pulaski do it on the ship and instead heads to Starbase 515, where, conveniently, Wesley is also headed in a shuttlecraft to do some Starfleet exams. Just after they leave, the Enterprise receives a distress signal when they encounter the Patleds, whose ship has broken. They want something that makes them go... Riker is patronising and smug and sends Geordi, despite Worf quite rightly pointing out that that's a stupid move to send your chief engineer to a ship full of aliens that you don't know. Deanna comes in just after Geordi beams over and points out to Riker that sending Geordi was a stupid move, but he's in danger and they need to rescue him. But Riker's patronising and smug and ignores her. The one time in the series Deanna Troy's been right and Riker ignores Amen. her. She gets no respect. To nobody's surprise, the Packlet's impressed that Geordie can make him go, hold him hostage. On the shuttle, Picard tells Wesley about his misspent youth, but fortunately, this tedious conversation that takes up half the episode will all be revisited in a much better later episode called Tapestry, where they show us how Picard was a bit of an arse in his youth and got stabbed by a Norsican, and don't bore us to death by just having us have a conversation in a shuttle. Back on the ship, Riker calls a conference, where Worf tells him that he is ready with a security team. 
Because this would probably be action-packed and fun, Riker is all patronising and smug and ignores him again. They suddenly receive a call from Starbase 515 that Picard's routine operation has surprisingly gone wrong. And because Starbase 515 has no competent surgeons of its own, they need Dr. Pulaski. Riker and co. concoct some silly ruse that involves Riker conning the packleds, presumably by being patronising and smug, and the Enterprise gets to Starbase 515 in time to save Picard. Get that Starbase number right, man. Yeah, well, it's very important. Somebody will pick us up on that. The Pulsar thing never gets monitored. And that was Samaritan's... Yeah, what a winner. (laughs) I thought it was going to be a very amusing and important and touching episode when they were talking about his heart at first because I thought it was all a setup to talk about Picard's... I thought they were talking in euphemistic terms about, like, some erectile dysfunction or something like that, the way that... You know, and that would be something that might make sense out of this whole thing that Picard has against having the operation done on his own ship. Yeah, or I it would have don't get it. No, it's it's dumb. This entire episode is stupid. Riker is a completely inept commander. He ignores both Worf and Deanna Troy. For the first time, Deanna Troy points out something that is useful and he ignores her. Yeah, because... uh, that's the, my note is uh, she's being useful and now no one listens. Yeah, and, and Wolf, Wolf actually says what is sending over our chief security officer. Well, that's Picard. But he actually says, is that a good idea? And does Riker say, well, we need to send the chief engineer because of some blah, blah, blah reason? No, he ignores him. Yeah, he just yeah. says, no, no, I'm in command oh. now. I'm going to send the chief engineer. You stupid... Oh. This is when I knew the whole thing went to shit. Is when, is when Data had to... Okay. From the first episode of The Next Generation, we find out that, that Riker and Troy have history. Mm. He's been inside of her, physically and mentally. They're, they were insi- talking to each other inside their heads, all this stuff. Data has to speak up on the bridge and go, and sort of fill in to, you know, to Riker what Deanna Troy's special powers are. Yeah. Well, you, well, you know, blah, 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 she can sense, blah, blah. Yeah, no shit. <laughs> Why is Data filling him in on this? You know, it's I, it was just like, they're not thinking about, they're not putting much time and effort into, no, they're not, into they're this not, one. But- any effort into the writing. And why, why, Riker... doesn't, why doesn't Picard want to have his operation? Why doesn't he want anybody to know? Oh, because his pride and and his well, fa- people's faith in the word could get... Whatever, it's the 20... You know, I mean, I imagine an artificial heart is no big deal. And his artificial heart came from having a knife plunged through his body. Yeah, That's in a barroom brawl. Exactly. That, yeah, suddenly, and, and, suddenly and he doesn't want anybody to find out. That's the commander you want. Oh yeah, my commander. Oh yeah, they 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 stuck a pole through him <laughs> from his back out through his heart, and now he's commanding the Enterprise. You I know, toe to toe with a Norsican. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's what you want. And then, but then when they're on the ship, Wesley has one of the most stupid lines of dialogue I have ever heard. He actually says to Picard, "Well, why did they give you a faulty heart?" 
Well, gee, I don't know, Wesley. Maybe they didn't give him a faulty heart. Maybe it's developed a fault later on. Maybe they've <laughs> discovered that it's faulty when it's in him. I refuse to believe Starfleet are so stupid that they deliberately gave him a faulty heart, give, you give... stupid fucktard. <laughs> and it's... And it, and, but even worse than that... Well, Wesley, the boy spiral. with the super brain that attracts yeah. interdimensional beings to... To his brain, yes. And then Starbase 515 has no one on the Starbase who can perform the operation if something goes wrong. So why the hell is he gone to Starbase 515? Pulaski ends up having to do the operation anyway. The ending was suddenly this routine operation is all perfect. Oh no, it's all gone wrong. And let's yeah, see like, how many it, didn't see that coming. It's like, let's have 10 minutes of talking about how routine... And, yeah. and 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 ridiculous this operation is and then and then when we start make the, the you know the little red plot element device starts going beep 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 beep, beep. oh no <laughs> something's so happening that's we've we've got to have something that heats up the packlet incident and this incident at the same time cuz we've got 10 minutes left in the show yeah, that's the only reason it's there, isn't it? Because they need a reason to have to rescue Geordie straight away. Because Jeez. the show's coming to an end, and it's just like, oh, well, let's have Picard's heart operation go wrong. It's, and if it's... I were Geordie, I would be kicking Riker's ass. Because yeah. Geordie gets... Uh, when They're just offhandedly phaser-blasting him through yeah. the air and into the wall, you know? Yeah, poor Repeat, Jordy gets his ass kicked. Yeah, repeated, you know, stun blast to the chest and stuff. It's yeah, it's I'd, not. I'd... They actually say, you know, and and then they're on the Enterprise going, "How many times can they stun him before we lose our <laughs> chief engineer?" You know. Oh yeah, this could definitely damage him. Well, we better get him out of there quick. And I didn't get what they were going for with the packlets either, because they're so slow. That you actually end up feeling sorry for them the when Riker is incredibly patronizing to them. Yeah. Well, the uh, thing the thing about him is is at one point there, you know, he's like, "Are they slow?" And Data's like, "They just might not have, they might not use language much." So you know that that's the thing about the. And here we go more into the the space smuggery and space racism sort of thing of the of the Enterprise crew. They're just like, "Look at these morons." Well, these morons are do have a spaceship, <laughs> and you know they do appear to be morons. But aren't aren't you all about like appearances are not you know you know first appearances are no they they definitely never waver from the the basic premise that these guys are just big big they're basically like Lenny from of mice and men you know they're just big dumb you know yeah. we just run across some space short bus here. And, oh, aren't they? They're kind of amusing, you know? We'll just sort of chuckle at them at first and then get angry like you would get yeah. angry at a little kid when they keep... But... It's amusing to laugh at the retarded kids, apparently. Yeah, and, and I got the I got the impression that they weren't dumb, but maybe the language... They were just ruthless and, prag, like, a ruthless sort of prag, pragmatism, you know, of like, oh, this is good for us, we keep it, which is kind of like the Borg. But uh, but after an episode with the Borg having these guys who look like that Twilight Zone episode where 
all the surgeons were ugly. Oh and yeah, all the surgeons were pig faces. Yes, they all they they sort of looked like those. They, and they dressed them up just sort of like space hicks, you know. And yeah, and it's I, I didn't get what they were going for with the packlets at all. But anywhere you cut it, it just comes across as offensive. Yeah. There's two there's two wonderful examples of our of Starfleet's finest in this episode. You've got the wonderful bit where the packlets take Geordi's phaser off him and shoot him. Without him reacting. He just kinda of stands there and goes, Yeah, sure, take my phaser. Oh, you've shot me. Yeah. And that's just oh. Hey, he's taking my yeah. yeah, it's entirely like that. Wait a minute, he seems to be taking my phaser. And then you've got the bit, the pick, the Packlid, the Picards. The Packlids make it clear. In fact, they hammer you over the head with we collect things, things that make us go. Yet it takes Deanna fracking Troy to point out to Riker that Geordie's going to make them go. God, Riker, how dumb are you? Yeah, I, I, it's it's crap. It's, uh, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm, I'm I'm trying to twist it into some sort of motivation of like, oh well, you know, there's space goody two shoes, so they just can't leave these guys to float in space. But they only had they had like two days power left. They could have left them, gone to the star base, come back, sent somebody back or whatever. You know, there wasn't any big fire under their ass to help these packlids and. And obviously, they weren't a very appealing race to to help either. So, yeah, it, everything, every plot element in this just seemed manufactured. And then we had a whole, you know, I mean, the first whole first season really had that whole undercurrent of like Picard doesn't like kids. Picard ha- is is a is a grumpy prick to Wesley and He's stuff. A but they prick to everyone, right, right. But especially to Wesley, and you know, and and but that you know they spend a good amount of time between now and then wearing wearing that down and now Wesley's on the bridge and stuff so the whole like breakfast club sequence on the shuttlecraft is just maddening mm. because well, Picard's got his lovely little triangle butties I and, and he's, yes and he's and he's reading his old fashioned book and and you know Wesley keeps nervously talking to him, and he stands up and he goes back to read his book, and Wesley doesn't pick up on it, and it's, and it ends up that you know them talking about you know, bonding stuff, and it it, it it's, it, I see what they're going for, and I'm seeing what they're trying for, but it's just not there. It's just basically almost like, pedal, you know peddling in the wind just 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 keep it having a story element going and skip uh, this one and just go and watch tapestry in the sixth season which does this story much better you can say that but what star trek fans gonna skip an episode <laughs> <laughs> uh, well you've only yourself to blame quite frankly that's true um, there was a couple of things that, about Picard that made me raise an eyebrow in this one. He refers to his friends as mates, and he calls the bar dead rough. I thought he was French, not British. The actor's uh, British. Yes. The character's French. Why is he using British euphemisms? Well, or maybe, British slang? Well, maybe they've had a few centuries to work themselves, I guess, into the French vernacular, maybe. Or the just <laughs> general cosmic vernacular 
uh, I guess it's not semen ver vernacular, it'd be spaceman vernacular. Yeah, yeah, he's, yeah he's, he's been in a big melting pot of all different cultures. He's, you know, he's picked it up somewhere in his, his Shakespeare. Well, look, the, we we find out in the next episode in a muck time that the the Vulcans picked up Crikey, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Crikey. Language is a virus, my friend. It just spreads around. Crikey. Um. I've only got a couple of other things on this. <laughs> you know, Worf is much better than me in that at no point does he turn to Riker and say, I told you so, because I would totally have done that. Even just give him a look. I mean, come on, he's a Klingon. You'd think he couldn't resist just going, like, uh, rolling his eyes at least. <laughs> yeah, and if Riker was in any way competent, this entire ep episode wouldn't have happened. Do you think... He, do you think... I think there should have been scenes in almost every episode of Worf going back to his quarters and going into the bathroom and, like, opening up the medicine cabinet. And there's <laughs> just these, like, urinal cake-sized, like, tums in there, and he just, like, ong, 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 eats them to, like, settle his stomach from churning and burning from, like, having to stand there as a Klingon impotently waiting yeah. for the humans to figure out that they're about to get their asses handed to them once again. Yeah. Standing around the bridge with all these wishy-washy hippies doing nothing all yeah. the time. Because he actually says, then force it must be. And he's got a security team ready to go over and, and stampede the pack-led vessel. Yeah. And what does Raker do? Nothing. That would be hostile. Yeah, <laughs> they've just phasered your chief engineer and kidnapped him. That's hostile. God, this one was bollocks, wasn't it? <laughs> well, it was. It was. Jordy was getting treated like the redheaded. He was. He was the the Chekhov in this one. You know, it's like, <laughs> hey, hey, hapless guy. Have you know? The, everybody else gets to sit and watch you get phasered into the wall on on screen. Poor, poor Jordy. Yeah. Never gets any sex and gets phasered around a pack-led vessel. You think he's going to get sex because Sonia Gomez is back? Yeah, but... Sonia Gomez is back, but don't get attached to her. Well, poor Jordy. Yep, we'll <laughs> never see her again. I don't know if she crops up in any of the novels or anything, but she will never be on the show again. And given that they go to great lengths to introduce her and have her in two subsequent episodes... You've got to wonder what happened there, haven't you? No, she was obviously a new... It was like, here's a new character, and then yep. you see her, and here's the follow-up. She's definitely there, and she's plucky. She's plucky, and she's back. Perky. <laughs> Jordy kicked her out of an airlock after a while, I think. That's that's my line. Jordy's perky pal is back. Yeah, like, she, was a, she turned out to be a triple boiler, and, like, he had to get a <laughs> space restraining order on her. So what you were saying earlier, they found the one woman who's not like that in the 24th century. Exactly. They found the one that looks like Glenn Close in exactly. Fatal Attraction. Exactly. <laughs> she'd she'd actually been studying Georgie LaForge since she was like 12 years old and like <laughs> maneuvered her way onto the Enterprise using whatever means possible just to get there. And then when he rejected her advances, yeah, she did She's terrible things to his triple. 
She's got holographic programs on the holodeck all devoted to how much she adores Jordy. Yeah, yeah. She's got <laughs> she's got old she's even got old holo records of like reading Rainbow with his, you know, ancestors <laughs> doing TV shows and roots and all that and Well, I think we've exhausted Samaritan Snow. Yeah, I think Samaritan Snare's exhausted us, man. <laughs> what a piece of shit. <laughs> Well, what an awesome note to end the show on. <laughs> I had horrible visions that you were going to like that one. It's always possible cuz I I I for the cynical acidic bastard that I am, I'm very kind to Star Trek episodes. I often find myself being like, I don't know, I thought this one was okay. And I'm not saying this one wasn't watchable, but this one definitely, this one definitely had me rolling my eyes like a good every five minutes or so. It's had, yeah, had me it's going not just like oh, come on. It's not completely unwatchable. Patrick Stewart is too good of an actor for it to be complete drivel. Yeah, and there's spaceships and lasers and and aliens and stuff. So okay, I'm 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 watching it. It's better than like Everybody Loves Raymond or something like that, but. <laughs> rectal surgery is better than yeah. right. <laughs> but when you're watching the show and you're making better command decisions than the guy who's in command you can't help but think who wrote this crap I always wonder why do they even have surgery in the 24th century why don't they just beam a new heart yeah. beam the old one out and beam a new one in yeah can they not beam organs into bodies and stuff mm-hmm. I think so Oh, well, there was a very good episode of The Next Generation and a crap one. Yin and yang, man. Should we get a drink and do a good one? Yes, oh, it's we definitely got a good one coming, and that's in the other episode of Star Trek Monthly Monday, Amok Time. And if you don't know what we're talking about, exactly. If, if that doesn't... If that tune does not immediately pop into your head then what are you doing listening to this podcast <laughs> why are you listening to us <laughs> <laughs> all right so we'll be back uh, with this show next month with the next two episodes of uh star trek the next generation which i have no idea what they are but they're the ne- ones that cu- uh, that would be episodes 18 and 19 <laughs> <laughs> of season two <laughs> of season two see i know my star trek um, it's very sad, but if it was the original, I could probably tell you what they were. But I can't tell you with the next generation. That's okay. I, I, um, I admire you for that. <laughs> <laughs> You can sponsor an episode of this or any other of your favorite Two True Freaks affiliated shows. Simply click the PayPal link on our website, donate any amount at all, tell us which show you're choosing and what message, if any, you'd like us to read on your behalf, and you will be an official sponsor of that show's very next episode, with your message read in the show's opener. It's that easy, and there is no minimum donation. Be a show sponsor today.
Anytime you plan to visit Amazon.com, please be aware that if you use the Amazon.com link located on our website, www.2TrueFreaks.Libson.com, 2 True Freaks will receive a referral bonus for any items you purchase. There is absolutely no additional cost to you whatsoever for doing this. All proceeds go directly toward keeping new episodes of all your favorite 2 True Freaks affiliated podcasts rolling, and it really helps us out. So please, use our Amazon.com link anytime you plan to visit Amazon.com. Welcome to Amazon. I love you. Visit our website at 2TrueFreaks.Libson.com. 2TrueFreaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. Libson is spelled L-I-B-S-Y-N. You can email 2TrueFreaks directly at 2TrueFreaks at gmail.com. Join our forum at forumforgeeks.com where you can discuss all of the shows on our feed with us and your fellow listeners. You can find Two True Freaks on Facebook. Just search for Two True Freaks. And hey, you can friend me, Scott Gardner, on Facebook too. My name is spelled S-C-O-T-T-G-A-R-D-N-E-R. You can friend me on Facebook too, if you can find me. Now available, Two True Freaks t-shirts. See our website for details. Two True Freaks is a very proud member of the Comics Podcast Network. You can check that out at www.comicspodcast.com, where you can hear our new episodes when we put them up. We are also members of the League of Comic Book Podcasts. For more information, visit comicbooknoise.com slash league. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? Thanks for listening, and join us every Monday for new episodes of Two True Freaks. No, blah, blah, blah. <laughs>